Welcome to the Inclusive Growth Show with Toby Milden. Future-proofing your business by creating a diverse workplace. Hey there, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Inclusive Growth Show. It's Toby Milden here, and I'm joined by Helen Farmer. Now, Helen is a diversity and inclusion and social mobility consultant working across all sorts of different sectors. So she's got tons of experience. She's also an activist and a speaker and hoping to do more speaking engagement so that we can have an impact on the world this year. And I'm catching up with Helen today because we want to have a conversation about the need to be brave and have some frank conversations when it comes to diversity and inclusion and how we can have some of those brave and frank conversations within the workplace particularly. So Helen, thank you for joining me. It's lovely to have you on the show. Thanks, Toby. It's great to be here and do some exploring with you about these conversations. So I gave a a very brief outline, but could you go a bit deeper into who you are, what you do and what, what led you to this point in time? So I'm based in Bristol and I started my own business about nine years ago been working for about 25 years and I've been lucky to work in all sorts of different projects and programs all sorts of different sectors often multi-partner programs and internationally as well as across education entrepreneurship and stuff but this latter part I've got really interested in working in all sorts of different things from school to boardroom uh, with young people with businesses um, universities all sorts of different people on some really amazing projects So my career and my own journey has sort of led me to care a lot more about justice and belonging are the two values I hold most dear. And I'm keen to see what what else I can do as a person in supporting other people with with making better work and workplaces. That's really cool. It sounds like we're on the same page professionally and and values-based as well. So one thing I know that you are keen on is, is having brave and frank conversations when it comes to diversity and inclusion it, I know it's an area that some of my clients struggle with they they're afraid of saying or doing something that might cause offense or maybe cause embarrassment and I know that particularly senior leaders suffer from this as well because often because they're a senior leader in an organization they they feel like they have to have all the answers but what is it that you mean by having brave and frank conversations I think it's come from, it's partly age and stage in my life and business, I think, but it's also, it comes from a place of frustration and anger and necessity and hope as well. I think there's a lot of stuff that doesn't get said that keeps people and systems safe, that can keep people and stuff down. Yeah. And I just think there's a lot more that needs to be said and we need to be braver as individuals and groups in kind of going there with some of the stuff that's unsaid and the more deep, open, honest conversations that I've been privileged to have have made me feel more real, if that makes sense. Um, So some conversations aren't for sharing and they're just one-to-one and some, I guess in your own head, you might never ever say out loud, but some of those inside and outside conversations I think could be more honest and I just think we have to go there with the scary bit or we're not going to make the progress that is out there to be had 
to make the world better. So it's almost like if we want to see progress, we need to lean into those brave and frank conversations with people. That's really quite potent. I mean, I was talking to a client yesterday, actually, who was saying that um, she's just started taking on a, a DNI role within a business. And she has felt that her eyes have really been opened and she's a lot more aware of things in society like inequality, racism, misogyny, homophobia, ableism, and all those kinds of things. And she's she's having to have very quite difficult conversations with people outside of work in her own friends and family and almost like having to call out behaviours like racism that she noticed somebody in her family were making. But yeah, unless we have those conversations, I think we're not going to see progress. And I think I'm really interested in the word you said, the unsaid, that word really stuck out for me. So what do you feel are the unsaid conversations that we should be having in the workplace? Who should be having those conversations? So I think um, it ties in with what you were just talking about there. I think there's, I just think there's masses of stuff that we don't say. And I think some of it we might never say, but others of it, I think we do, sort of, especially if you're in a privileged position, there's a kind of duty and a need to do that. And and I think some in some ways, maybe the last couple of years with the pandemic or the, you know, the, the trauma of people seeing um, George, George Floyd's murder and racism and anti-racism stuff that comes up, as well as everything you mentioned, there's, there's so much stuff that needs to be done. But I, I feel like there's a door that we've kind of, in my mind, I kind of think about it like doors, you know, you've got like doors of what is said and stuff that's easy and you can go through that whenever you like. And then you've got the um, the unsaid and you choose, you make a choice whether you go through that door or not and I think sometimes there's no turning back once you go through there and you become more real more vulnerable and I think that the whole society work and everything that we are in a place that we've never been before and we we need to talk about it and talk about what's going on what's not going on otherwise we will never make the difference so yeah I'm, I'm not sure if I'm being specific enough but I think there's there's something about um a really amazing person that I know who runs a really important organization locally said that she'd found that when she started saying stuff was when she saw more progress. So rather than putting someone else's comfort first and maybe not saying like how crap the system was or the process was for X, Y, or Z, that's when she was starting to see results and see things change because I think there's a lot of comfort that people get held in whichever side of the system benefit they're on or not. But I, I just think there's there's so much that needs to happen to be more creative and disruptive. And it's not all bad stuff as well. There's, there's amazing stuff about the stories that just never have been told. It starts before school, all the missing books on our bookshelves about um, women, black, minority people, disabled, and, and all sorts of different things. And it's really... It's a really exciting time, but it's still really difficult. And, and we've got to go there with, with the fear, but you have to be in the right place to do it as well. We've done it to be traumatic for people, even if it's vulnerable. This is a bit like being an inclusive leader. And if we look at something like the six signature traits of 
inclusive leadership that Deloitte created, they talk about that an inclusive leader needing to be bold and having to call stuff out, having difficult conversations. And so what you were describing there is really one of those characteristics, if you like. Yeah, and I think it's partly um, with the leadership thing as well. It's not always only about inclusion because there's, you know, there's a lot of work out there about how lonely it can be at the top, like if you work for yourself or if you're a leader working for your own organisation or a big one. Yeah. You might not necessarily have all the answers or know where to go to get support and you might not you might be a bit worried about you know a whole number of things business survival or or status or reputation or who knows what but there's something that comes with honesty yeah and not knowing makes you more ready than to be able to receive or ask for help as well whatever it is you're dealing with so what what do you think could help people have more of these important braver franker conversations I think people need space and support and they need to figure out what which spaces and which people and which stuff supports them and, and that you're only going to find that out by doing that and going there and experimenting with different people and places so for me personally I'm going to be exploring and creating thinking spaces either signposting and connecting people to spaces that already exist where you can go and get some extra support and do some exploring um, maybe an online community or something, trying to sort of take a step back and think about where you can get one or a combination of expert support, peers support, you know, people trying to do the same thing as you and just knowing that actually it's completely normal to experience all the stuff that you're experiencing, yeah. but also your own stuff, because the more honest you are with yourself about what you're doing or not doing and the more vulnerable you are and aware of what's involved in being vulnerable, then hopefully the more sort of supportive you can be for others. And I, I don't think, you know, it can be exciting. It can be, I don't think there's anywhere you can't go in a book or a podcast or online online these days. It's not that you have to do everything publicly, visibly, or, you know, you can find your safe space. Like I am addicted to, um, to books and stories. Um, and, you know, there's this, um, I think as well, it's this thing, there's a book that really inspired me called The Ethics of Us by Patricia yeah. Illingsworth and this she talks about lots of different things but this us it's bigger than any of us at all and it's almost like how can you give yourself enough space if you're privileged or have the capacity to to actually step back and go okay what is the bigger thing that needs done or the bigger thing that needs talked about yeah and then figure out how to make that happen and and not to be a bystander or think about where you ha- have been or might end up being a bystander because otherwise you know if you're not actively including people you more than likely could be passively excluding them which is something that I covered in a program we ran last year. So I know we, we've touched on some of the reasons why but maybe this is a good point where we can summarize the the, the top reasons why we need to be having these braver frank conversations within the workplace. So if I had to try and choose the the top reasons, I would say we've got to have them because progress, whilst it exists and there's some brilliant stuff going on, it's really slow, it's painful, it's just not fast enough. You know, if you look at 
a specific sector you might say like in engineering in, you know there's been loads of like outreach or stem or role model this or that going on which is 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 brilliant and i want my children and everyone else's children to be supported to explore that if they want to but it's actually plateaued um in some cases got worse in these different sectors and i think so i think more has to be done about being really honest about not just doing the fun stuff of uh, inclusion but actually making sure you go back in inside your organization and get really honest with making stuff different in because the the second reason i was going to mention is people are asking is it worth it so even and that's at at an early stage or it might be when they're already in your organization someone that's underserved they'll be at risk of leaving or not progressing through no fault of their own but you know people talented people even if they see that there's a supposed open door to go into say engineering where we know there's a shortage of skills they're just asking if it's worth it because they ha- they haven't and can't see enough support there and enough change happening to make it worth you know all that effort and the the third thing i would say is we need to have it because the burden of resilience is very heavily on underserved people you know the, there's a book about fixed workplaces not women yeah. So instead of fit, trying to fix people, try and fix your workplace. But also more recently, someone described that burden of resilience where it ends up being on the underserved person to speak up. Yeah. And they're then put in doubly, triply, multiply vulnerable situation. And it shouldn't have to be just their responsibility. We, we've got to support people to, and I say we, that's all, you know, it's a big loaded word and it, it, it does go to my privilege as well. Um but yeah, we've just got to be really honest. If we're going to make change, there's got to be bigger stuff that can happen. So how, how do we know that having these braver, franker conversations are, are working? You know, when, when is a good time and, and when is not a good time to have these conversations? So I think in some ways there's like a lot of things, there's never a good or a right time, but also, you know, it's not just a case of going willy-nilly and chucking things out there without being more sort of self-aware of what the wider stuff that might be going on because if you or the other person is in any way at risk of trauma or triggering or you know a judgment then that doesn't need to be made then you know you've got to be instinctive as well but the in terms of knowing what's working I think some stuff is vulnerable and private and it stays in the vault and you need like Brenny Brown describes, but and you need permission to share it. It's not your story to share and people need to feel psychological safety. And also I was thinking that in terms of when it's good to, to have these frank conversations, listening itself, I was thinking is a conversation itself. So actually just either holding the space or creating space to simply listen to somebody and let them get to the end of telling their story is a conversation in itself without thinking about what you're going to say next or how you could help them which I completely am at risk of doing quite often because I always want to to help but it's not necessarily helpful and it's it's trying to stop like you were saying earlier it's about deep active listening which in itself is creating that space that you were talking about earlier that needs to create an environment where you can expand your awareness and, and education around things to do with DNI. 
Yeah, and we had some great people in um, Zara Ash Harper and Annalise Paul in the Creative Workforce of the Future program that we did locally in Bristol and west of England in the last couple of years. And they shared some really interesting ways of looking at listening and about the public and private spheres. And actually, some people will never be comfortable with sharing their kind of innermost thoughts or going to that deep place, while those others can go there quite quickly. So it's about kind of respecting somebody's choice to go in or not it's also um you know even if you go somewhere that's quite a vulnerable place people won't necessarily be ready to to join you um it's a really important thing to do because i think the the mental health aspect of it which is something i care deeply about because of my own experience and experiences in my family i think that you have to just be really thoughtful and considerate and make those choices about doing it that like having these these conversations so before we go um what does inclusive growth mean to you i like that question because it sort of makes me stop and think because i might sort of jump on my warrior horse and moan about it because i associate that those kind of words with um you know, sort of popular, sort of maybe government or private patriarchal organisations and systems about inclusive growth. And, you know, in some ways, I think maybe there's, if it's some, you know, my, maybe it's my own bias that needs to be explored or broken, but I feel like inclusive growth sometimes might be an excuse for people to just do their version of doing some kind of inclusion, but still growing and still keeping the status quo as it is largely. Yeah. So I'm curious to know, to also learn more, you know, um, now and later about what you do and what it means in reality to to you and your people because yes I just have this this feeling that from what I've experienced that systemically there's a lot of keeping things as they are you know investing in technology or high growth and scale up and this or that you know and, and the figures are quoted all the time about McKinsey you know the outperformance by including people you know of gender of race um and you put you put some statistics i wasn't aware of at all i think out on linkedin yesterday about including people with disabilities uh as well i'm generalizing and i'm maybe not being that specific but i think there's a lot of room for actually just stopping and thinking about what is the real difference that you can make as a person or organization or bigger group or collective of people on your own doorstep without just continuing on this growth trajectory of growing bigger, bigger, more money and, and everything. Um, just really sort of looking seriously and listening to to what you can do inside and outside your organisation. I'm really interested in your perspective of the terminology, actually, because that's, that's not how I have thought about it before. But those kind of systems in place in society, when I created or when I wrote the book, Inclusive Growth, the main point really for me was that I wanted to reframe diversity and inclusion for business leaders because so many business leaders that I spoke to felt like diversity and inclusion was a box ticking exercise or was window dressing or just being used to raise the profile of the organization. And I wanted them to understand that actually a more diverse workforce, a more inclusive culture would help their organization grow and perform better. And that's really the, that's like the snapshot of the, the book, really. 
so yeah that's my kind of angle on it really yeah I, I think I need to read your book and add it to my bookshelf and stuff as well um but also I'm aware that I need to sit in the conflict a bit more in terms of asking myself why what's you know what's niggling at me what's um frustrating me and I think it's partly um it does relate to my own experience and, and research that I've done or seen in terms of people being expected to fit into a system that doesn't serve them you know including like entrepreneurship and stuff you know it's it's you know technology startup incubators or high growth ones but then sort of sometimes female businesses can be or other businesses can be dismissed as more sort of lifestyle um and i just think sometimes it's easier for people organizations bigger you know government or whatever it is to invest in the sort of seemingly safe risk-free versions rather than actually going there with with other things so like we've got a new incubator in bristol that's starting by black southwest network and a load of partners very specifically on supporting social entrepreneurs because the investment just doesn't happen and those programs that exist have not been serving them they serve the people that they serve very well yeah but there needs to be more specific support whilst people navigate and work in this broken system yeah I, i like your point actually about that the system because i talk to lots of organizations where they want to get more diversity into their business and then i say to them okay yes you know we could get more diversity into your organization but are you then expecting people to just fit in or are you prepared to adapt your organization to create a more inclusive environment where people feel that they belong they feel respected for who they are they feel empowered they feel that they can progress within your business and i think that's an interesting conversation that senior leaders should be having it's like why do we want more diversity and when we do have more diversity how committed are we to changing the culture of the organization so that everybody feels like they're welcomed and that they belong or are we just expecting people to to fit in because if it's the latter then you're just going to recruit a bunch of people who will leave after joining or they're going to be really disappointed and disengaged and that doesn't serve anybody so if somebody listening to us today wants to get in touch with you because something you've said has resonated with them what, what should they do so i'm on linkedin that's probably the easiest way to to find me always up for connecting and chat and exploring and and uh, either connecting or sort of curating um, stories and spaces and for frank conversations is, is my mission this year and uh, yeah just seeing what we can do to help more people set up these spaces and support that's going to help them to to navigate this stuff um, I was lucky to do a creative workforce of the future program so just sort of jumping back a little bit don't know if that's allowed but um we had to do like a live in effect we were kind of doing some of the stuff you were talking about it was an amazing opportunity and a massive challenge so we worked with uh 60 organizations in creative and cultural sector bristol and west of england and we had 13 creative professionals who were from social and economic disadvantage or from a black and minoritized um group and they had a a year-long program right alongside the businesses so we had an inclusion program for the businesses and mentoring and skills and creative practice training for the young people 
And they also then, and that was for six months, and then they had two, three-month placements in the businesses. And we were doing that work that you're talking about, about don't just get one person in and think that's done. Actually, there's a massive amount of work to do. And I really like Cindy Gallup's approach about don't just recruit one diverse person, like one person that's different to you that's there. Get a whole lot in at once and support them and, and do the different stuff that's that's necessary because it's um yeah it's a massive thing for them to do and those people that came through that program were amazing because it was during a pandemic there was the george floyd's death and it was unbelievable stuff that they were going through yeah. and yeah so there's, there's loads that needs to be done but doing it collectively can help as well that sounds really impactful thanks thanks for sharing that so hopefully that will serve as some inspiration as to what some organizations could get involved in. Um, Helen, thank you ever so much for, for joining me today. It's been a really interesting and fascinating chat with you. And I just hope that more leaders in organizations go out and have those braver and franker conversations. And if they want to chat with you further, then to reach out to you and connect with you on, on LinkedIn. So, yeah, thank you. Thanks, Helen. Thanks, Toby, and thanks for making the space for me today. It's been brilliant. Thank you. You're welcome. And thank you for tuning into this episode of the Inclusive Growth Show with me, Toby Milton, and my guest, Helen Farmer. Um, hopefully, you found some uh, really interesting nuggets of wisdom in our conversation about having braver and franker conversations. Until next time, I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Inclusive Growth Show. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Inclusive Growth Show. For further information and resources from Toby and his team, head on over to our website at milden.co.uk.